Everything stands or falls on leadership. And you know this because when a nation is failing, what do they look for? A new president. When a sports team is failing and has a losing record, do they get rid of everyone on the team or do they find a new coach? When an organization or a business is failing and going in the wrong direction, do they fire everyone? No, they find a new CEO. When a school is underperforming, what do they look for? A new headmaster or a new principal? Leadership is incredibly important. And today we're going to be talking about leadership in the church. Everybody wants to be a leader. When I was at Elon University, uh, there was a leadership minor. They were hoping to create a leadership major. So everybody is excited and obsessed with leadership, but is everybody a leader? The answer would have to be no. I don't know if you've ever heard the proverb. It says, uh, he who thinks he leads and has no followers is only taking a walk. Okay? And so today we're going to talk about leadership, and not just leadership in the world, but particularly leadership in the church. And my favorite definition of leadership is that leadership fills the gap between what is and what could be. That's what it does. What is and what could be in the church? What's the difference? Leadership. What is and what could be in your family and in your finances and in your future? What fills the gap? Leadership. Between who you currently are and who you could be, what's the gap? Self-leadership. And the Bible addresses this topic compellingly, comprehensively, consistently. And if you'll open up your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 5, today the Bible talks about church leadership. Why church leadership? Because if there's any organization on earth worth good leadership, it's the church of Jesus Christ. We have the greatest message. You think about companies, they're trying to get their message out. Is there any better message than Jesus Christ forgives and transforms sinners? That he can change your destiny and your eternity. That is an incredible message. Not only that, we have the greatest mission. We want people to meet Jesus and be made into disciples. There's no greater mission. Not that long ago, I was reading about Coca-Cola. And at one point, I don't know if they still do, they had a mission statement that they wanted a can of Coke within one mile of every human hand. And you read that and you go, what a mission for sugar water. <laughs> How can a company that's selling sugar water be more passionate about its mission, have a better plan, have better systems, have better structures than the church? And then we have the greatest resource. And I'm not talking about finances. I'm not talking about talent. I'm talking about God's word and the Holy Spirit. And so, and so what we're going to talk about today is church leadership. And let me just tell you, I, I've seen how important this is. I, I've got a lot of friends who, who didn't plant churches, but they revitalized churches. You may know this, but 80 to 90% of churches, depending on stats, are you know, either dead, declining, dying, plateaued. And, and what happens is a lot of men go in there to pastor the churches, and, and there's just, it's not easy by any means, but it's simple what you do in those churches. It's, it's not easy, but it's simple. Well, you do two things. You preach the word of God. You put it as central. Nobody's been teaching it. Nobody's been preaching it. Or if they have, they've not been calling for a response from people. They've not been making the gospel explicit, so that's the first thing. But here's the second thing, and sometimes it's actually the first thing, is you put godly leadership in place. And that's it. I saw this. I was at FBC Durham. Andy Davis came there, I think it was 1996, 1998. He did two things. He said, I'm going to consistently preach God's word, and I'm going to put the right leaders in place. And once he did those two things, that's been working itself out for the last 25 years. And that's how the church works. So this is incredibly important. So I want us to turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at five verses. Verses one through five. And here's the big idea that this place is not our home, but a place to be shepherded. That's the biblical word for leadership. It's not CEO, it's not manager, it's not life coach. Um, we live in, the millennials I believe are called the mentee generation. 
They want to be mentored. They want to be invested in, and that's fine. The Bible gives a good word for it. It's called being shepherded. And what it says is that this place is not our home, but it's a place to be shepherded. Now, let me read this. Here's what he says in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you. Now, this is interesting. He's talking to the leaders in front of the people. He doesn't say, I'm gonna send you a separate email uh, with, a, with an attached PDF. Please only let the leaders read this. That actually, what he wants, this is so important, and this is why this sermon is for everyone, even if you're going, I don't ever wanna be in church leadership. Well, two things. One, people are watching you. So you're leading in some capacity. If your name's mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, or if you're a teacher or if, you're in a, if you've got employees, somebody's watching you. But then secondarily, the Bible assumes that the people that it's speaking to are responsible to know the leaders they're supposed to follow and what to look for in leadership in the church. So here's what he says. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, Peter's a humble guy. He's like, yeah, I could call myself best friend of Jesus. I could call myself apostle or writer of scripture, but I'm gonna come on the same level and call myself a fellow elder. And a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God. That sh the word shepherd, it, it's the verb form of the word pastor. So the word pastor only shows up in the Bible one time as a title, although that's probably the most common word we use for church leadership today. Elder is much more common in the Bible. But the verb form of pastor is to shepherd. He says this, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. That the best thing that you ever could do is invest in what God and who God has put in front of you. Not fantasizing about another woman. Love your wife. Not fantasizing about another person's kids. Not fantasizing about somebody else's home or job or life. The way the transformation happens in a person's life is you go, this is what God's given me. And my best chance is to play the, play the hand that God has dealt me. And I'm going to deeply invest in the people that God has put in front of me. So this is what he says. So shepherd the, the, the flock of God, it belongs to God, that is among you. Exercising oversight. That's the verb form for the word overseer. So just follow me for a second. There are three words in the Bible, shepherd or pastor, overseer or elder. There are three words that talk about the same office. The government calls me head of household. My wife calls me husband. My kids call me father. It's three different titles for one man. That's exactly what's happening with elder, overseer, and um, pastor. Pastor was the blue collar name of the day. Elder was the Jewish name of the day. Um, and overseer was the Greek name of the day. Elder was about the head, overseer was about the hands, pastor was about the heart. It's a comprehensive view of leadership. And here's what he says. Exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd could literally be translated the senior pastor. That the, the title for Jesus in scripture, one of them is senior pastor. Jesus Christ is the senior pastor of every church, ultimately. And when the chief shepherd appears, that's the return of Christ, the third mention of the return of Christ in this letter, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger. And that could be chronologically or spiritually. He says this, be subject. That means intellectually, joyfully, and willingly follow. Be subject to the elders. That's why it's so important for you to pay attention today. So that you know what to expect, because here's the truth. Um, many of you are young, and this won't be your final church you're at. You're going to move. You're going to go to residency somewhere else. You're going to go to law school somewhere else. Uh, you're going to get a job and transfer somewhere else, and you're going to show up, and you've got to go not just what's the cool church with the good sermons and music. That might not be a terrible place to start in looking around, 
But you want to ask at the end of the day, okay, well, who's in charge? How are decisions made? What is their biblical theology of leadership? And this is what he says. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility. In other words, that, why, why does he say clothe yourself? Because clothing is the first thing you see on somebody. The first thing I should notice about you and you should notice about me is my humility. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another for, it's a very scary verse, God opposes. God is actively against. I don't think there's anything worse you could say. God is actively and aggressively against the proud. And we'll talk more about that at the end of 1 Peter. But gives grace to the humble. That's God's word. So we're going to look at those five verses for the next 30 or 40 minutes together. And every time we talk about church leadership, people have a lot of different experiences, right? If, I'm like, if I talk to you and I say, what do you think of when I say pastor? When I say elder? When I say deacon, whatever the, whatever the church leadership bishop, people have, so some people go, I loved my pastor growing up. Or I loved my pastor when I, at my last church. Or I loved my pastor when I was in college. And I know that I still, you know, some of you tell me, I still podcast my pastor. You, you, and that, that's great. That means that you're super excited and you had a great experience. That would be some of you. There, there, are, there are many people, many people who aren't in this room today, who had a bad experience with church leadership. They were hurt somehow that, that there's two types of people that aren't in church. There are the unchurched and the dechurched, right? The unchurched are, didn't grow up in the church, don't know anything. I mean, that's every person that I ever met at Duke. They had never been inside of a church. But then there are the dechurched. And the dechurched are, I've had a terrible experience either with the people in the church or the leadership in the church. And because of that, I'm no longer uh, in the church at all. For others of you, you experienced, you saw the moral failure. And that, and unfortunately, those get highlighted. Even though most pastors are faithful Men of God who are trying to fight the sin in their life. and What gets escalated, what gets often talked about are moral failures, and so it makes us suspicious. What I believe most people don't, here's what I think, most people don't ever think about church leadership. I don't blame you. It's not something that you're going to probably wake up on the average Tuesday and start thinking about church leadership, you know? But the truth is, uh, nobody thinks about church leadership until something goes wrong. And when something goes wrong, people begin to ask, well, who's in charge here? Where's their accountability? How are decisions made? And those are all good questions. And so what we want to do today is in some ways we want to, this is what expository preaching does, we want to expose what the Bible says about leadership. Because in healthy ways, we want you guys to know what to expect from us. Bad men will not tell you who's in charge or what to hold them to. You can't find who's in charge on the website. You, you, you don't, they, they never actually spend any time in the church teaching on what you should expect of the leaders, and they don't do that often because they don't want to be held accountable. And so what I want to do with our time left is I want to talk about the six things Peter says about leadership. Now, he says them specifically to the elders, but let me just say, um, by implication and application, you could take them for yourself. And here's what I mean by that. First of all, um, every command in Scripture that's given to leaders is given to every other Christian in another area of the Scriptures. Christians are told to imitate the leaders. And so this is going to be very, very important because, uh, and like I said earlier, if you're a mom or dad and you're in the home or you're in the business world or you lead a community group, uh, in whatever environment you're in, these are going to be applicable. Now today, I'm going to specifically speak about elders, we want men and women leading at all different levels based on giftedness and calling in our church, but this particularly is talking about the highest office in the church. Because what the Bible's trying to do, and in the end of 1 Peter and in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and, and Titus, the, what are called the pastoral epistles, what, what they're trying to do is they're trying to get the church ready to live without apostles. Peter knows he's about to die, and he's like, okay, I'm not going to write scripture anymore. 
Uh, all the people who walked with Jesus and, and were his main disciples, they're all dead and gone. How will the church be led? And his answer is, it's going to be led by a plurality of qualified men. And these men are going to be called elders or pastors or overseers. Six things I want you to know, six things Peter wants you to know from God's word about elders. First, you are to be led by a team. You are to be led by a team. I want you to see this. So I exhort the elders. The word elder always shows up when it's talking about appointing a bunch of people to the office of elder in the plural. Um, this is called team leadership. This is called shared leadership. This is called plural leadership. It's as old as God. There, I mean, think about it. God is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Uh, they are three persons in one being who share leadership. God plans salvation. Jesus accomplished salvation. The Holy Spirit applies salvation. They work together. Here's what this means. This means it avoids the two extremes in churches that you've, that you've seen or been a part of. Uh, one extreme is uh, that the church is ruled and led by one man. And that's very, very scary, and you don't want that. The sage on the stage, right, the man of God. This is very common, and I love our charismatic brothers and sisters, but this is very common in charismatic churches. It's like the man on the stage, he's got the separate office. It takes seven secretaries to get to him. We're waiting for him to make all the decisions and tell us what to do. His office is in a whole other part of the building. He's completely separated from the people of God. That's a very, very dangerous thing. So that would be one extreme that we want to avoid, that one man makes all the decisions. That's never how it's been at Two Cities. We've always had a plural leadership, and Pastor Dave and I, now we have eight elders, but we, it was the two of us leading together with other counsel and advisory this whole time. And so that's one extreme is, the, is, is that one man rules the church. Uh, the other extreme is that it's a majority vote for everything micromanaged by the congregation, which is terrifying and scary. No offense to you guys. Love you guys. But if you think about it, there's one church vote in the Bible, and it led to 40 years in the wilderness. Do you remember that? Should we go into the promised land? Everyone voted no. And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. Part of, we'll get into this, part of what leadership is, is taking people places they don't want to go for reasons they don't want to know. And so it's, it's about being led by a team. Now, why is that so important? Well, there's three benefits to team leadership, to plural leadership, to a plurality of elders, to shared leadership. Here's what they are. Number one, it balances out weaknesses. Every elder, and this would be true in any, this would be true in a home, right? By, by the way, that's what happens when you get married. You have shared leadership and um, your idiosyncrasies and your spouse's idiosyncrasies, together you become one normal person. And if you didn't know that, that's actually what happens. Two people who are not normal get married, and they balance each other's weaknesses up, and that third version, okay, that unified version of you raises the next generation. Well, that's what happens. Okay, well, that's, in, that's a little microcosm of what happens in the church, is that you've got leaders, and they've got different strengths, and they've got different weaknesses, and they struggle with different sins, and they've got different passions, and then they all come together. Let me give you an example. Um, one of the ways to think about leadership is prophet, priest, and king. That's a biblical, Jesus is the word of God, Jesus is the king of kings, he's the high priest. Okay. That, that's a common way to think of it. Now the prophets are people who, they're Bible people. They love to teach, they love to preach, they love commentaries, they love footnotes. I'm a prophet, that's my number one thing. Now Pastor Dave is more of a king. They love systems, they love structures, they love services, they love staffing, they love Excel documents, okay? And then there are, then there are uh, priests, and they are people people. Um, that would be Caleb, Pastor Caleb. Caleb, uh, he's, he loves to do quality ministry to people all the time. So here's how this works. I get in a room and I'm like, this is what we got to preach on. 
And Dave's like, well, we need a facility to do that, you know? <laughs> and, and, and we need, a, you know, and there needs to be light, and there needs to be sound, and there needs to be audio, and there needs to be video. And the chairs need to be comfortable, and he's thinking on a kingly. And then Caleb's like, yeah, and we need to connect this to our community group so people can be cared for and walk through. And you see how that works, right? You, you need the balance, and, and, and our elder team has both prophets, uh, priests, and kings on it. So that, that's the first thing. Uh, secondly, it lightens the workload. See, I, I know so many pastors, and I deeply, deeply respect them, but they are completely overwhelmed because they're being a single pastor. They are cutting the grass, they are changing the sign, they are making the copies, they are answering every email, they are doing every counseling session, and they're, they're faithfully serving, and, they're tr- and somehow in there, they're trying to spend a couple hours to prepare their sermon. And people go, well, why can't we ever get ahead? Why does it feel like we're never winning? Why does it feel like everybody's stressed? It's because there's no shared leadership. And then finally, it provides accountability, and, and thank God for that. That all the elders are accountable to one another. I don't have a different office than them. I, I don't have um, a different authority than them. Uh, in fact, one of the things we did early on is we have both staff and non-staff elders, and that was very intentional. We have staff elders, and they work full-time for the church. They receive their salaries from the church. We have non-staff elders. They work full-time outside the church. We think that's really, really important. Now we have four and four. So the eight of us together bring different perspective by four of us working for the church and four of us not working for the church full-time. So that's the first thing. You're to be led by a team. Here's the second thing. You are to be led by spiritual men. By spiritual men. Here's what it says in verse one. So I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder, here's the first thing he wants you to know about me as an elder, he says. Here's what I want you to know about me as an elder. I'm a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker of the glory that's being revealed. Here's what he means. He means that elders deeply understand the gospel. They deeply understand that life's about Jesus Christ. They deeply understand that Jesus Christ suffered for sin and rose from the dead, and that's the main motivation, that's the main message of their lives. And you think, well, this would be a pretty simple thing. Everybody knows that elders or pastors or church leaders need to be Christian. It's like, yeah, you'd think so. But, but I've had the opportunity, or I, I've had the experience. Let me tell you what happened to me. I was a freshman in college. I was naive. I was a brand new Christian. I'm at Elon University. I see a church across the street. It says United Church of Christ. I didn't know at the time that that entire denomination is no longer Christian, just Christian in name, not Christian in belief or anything. And I go in there, and I meet the pastor, and I'm really excited. Hey, I'm a brand new Christian. You pastor a church that's next door to me. And at the time, I was trying to use their prayer room to say, hey, could I study here? Could I pray here? I've got a roommate. He's not a Christian. We live in a very small room together. You know, I'd like to find a, a place to pray and read. And, and uh, he began to ask me a couple questions about what I believed, and then I began to ask him a few questions about what he believed, and I realized he didn't believe in the resurrection. He didn't believe that the Bible was the word of God. He didn't need in the, the, the necessity for personal salvation. He didn't believe in a literal hell. And I'm thinking, what are you doing for a living? Did you, want an in, did you just want an indoor job with no heavy lifting? <laughs> is that, is that what you, was that why you're a pastor? It, because you just, now that's one, one extreme, but that happens. I mean, how, how many times? I, I knew a guy who was appointed to be an elder at a church. And this is not in our city, but was appointed to be an elder at a church because he made seven figures. It's like, well, yeah, he, he wasn't really a Christian, or if he was a Christian, he was not a very strong Christian, but, let, but he makes seven figures, so if he's an elder, maybe he'll feel guilty about tithing. Or maybe, and this is what we think, oh, maybe because they're successful in the business world, which, which praise God for that, and we... We have men in the business world that are elders. Um, because, but but, but it, it, the logic is not, they were successful in this domain, therefore we make them elders. Or, or sometimes it's like, you know, uh, here's who needs to be an elder, whoever's liked the most in the church. It's like, well, maybe not. 
Maybe the person's liked because they're a great godly person. Maybe they're liked because they're a pushover. You know, I don't know. Maybe they're cowardly. Maybe they're people-pleasing. Maybe they struggle deeply with the fear of man and they're not going to be able to confront people. And they're not going to be able to lead people. And so we need to have spiritual, godly men. We care about three things we look for. We look for communion with Christ, character, and competency. Communion with Christ is what we've been talking about. Character is, if you read 1 Timothy 3, I won't go there, Titus 1, you can do this with your community group. There are only two things that elders are told to do, competencies, to be able to teach, and not up here four times. Um, to, which some elders may do that when they come up here, but um, to, to be able to teach, think these commands were given in a house church context. Basically, be able to lead a community group well and teach in such a way that people understand. And then the other one is to manage your own household well. And, and that's be, the logic there is, well, you know, if, if you can't manage your house, you probably can't manage God's house. If you can't manage a little house, you won't be able to manage a bigger house. But, but there's only two competencies. There's 14 different character traits mentioned that elders must have. Not that they're perfect, but they're, not that there's perfection, but there's direction. Not that there's perfection, but there's progress. So, so first, you're led by a team, but these men are godly men who understand the gospel. Here's the third thing. Thirdly, you are to be led by men who are among you. You are to be led by men who are among you. Uh, not a celebrity that's far away. Not a CEO that's disengaged. Not a sage on the stage who pops in and pops out. Here's what it says. I want you to see this. I always look for what is repeated. So I exhort the elders among you. That's really important. That are right like you. That's what's so amazing. The elders that we have raised up in our church came from within the church. We didn't go find them somewhere else. They came from within our church. He says, um, so I exhort the elders among you. As a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Second time it's mentioned. Exercising oversight. Not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. The big idea here is that every shepherd is a sheep. And that the very, that what happens sometimes in leadership and, and, and where leadership breaks down and where it gets very dangerous and where pride comes in and um, people be, go from having authority to being authoritarian is when they begin to see a big difference between the shepherd and the sheep, between them and the people that they lead. And it's, it's what Paul warns us. He says, uh, take heed. Um, if you think you stand, take heed lest you fall. It's, the, it's to realize all the temptations that this person has, I, I have in my own way. That I'm no better than these people. This is why, just so you know, all of our elders are in community groups. Many of our elders don't even lead those community groups. I, don't, I haven't led the community group I'm in for two years. It's always interesting for me to sit there. It's like, well, what did you think about Kyle's sermon? And I'm over in the corner. You know? <laughs> but I'm just there. I'm not leading it. I, I partake in it. I, 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 I talk about that, you know? Um, it, it, it's... It's the idea of being just, and this is exactly how we feel, just, we're just another sheep that, that God has called us. What makes us distinct is this, we are called to a higher standard, we are given a stricter final judgment. It's like, not, not things that the average person wants to raise their hand on. But that's what it calls us to. And, and, and see, what happens is, like, I remember years ago, I can't remember who it was, there was a presidential candidate, and this person, trying to be relevant, I don't know, they, this person slipped up and said, um, I remember what it's like to pump gas. And everyone's like, you remember? It's like, I pumped gas this week. It's like, what's, you know, what this person was trying to do is they were trying to be relevant. What they showed was the distance between the people they were talking to and who they were. It's like, if you've not pumped gas or driven a car, you are so far removed from the average American experience that you're not even going to be able to talk to us. 
You know, and people said, we, were, we had a bunch of college students uh, from the summit come here, and we told them the story of our church, and one of the things they said is, how do you guys remain humble based on everything that's happened so quickly here? And one of the answers to that question is, well, you know, we're trying to be humble. We never want to say you're humble. You want to say you're pursuing humility by the grace of God. But one of the things he said is, we just go home and do the same things everybody else does. We have to change diapers. We have fights with our wives. We're trying to raise our kids. We're trying to figure out finances. We're trying to, you know, we're just trying to do all the normal things that everybody else is doing. And here's what also is really helpful. We surround ourselves with a bunch of people who aren't impressed by us. My wife loves me. She respects me. She's not impressed by me. Our staff love me. We laugh together. She's not, or they're not impressed by me. And, and that's, it's actually very, very freeing. And so, um, we want to be among you. Now, now here's that, what that means. It means that the elders of the church should be available, they should be accessible, they should be approachable. Uh, let me just kind of, as we move on from this point, let me just share one tension that we all feel, just so we can talk about it, since we're, since we're being so open about what I do for a living, you know, and, and, and everything, and how you guys can think about me and the rest of our elders. Well, here's, what, here's the tension, to minister to the entire congregation and the individual Christian. And I had a mentor pastor tell me this, and maybe this will be helpful. And this applies to your jobs as well, I'm sure. But um, what, he, what he was saying is he said, now when you're working on your sermon, you are ministering to 1,200 people. And I never had thought about it that way. He said, when you're at your desk and you're working on your sermon, what you're doing is you're ministering to 1,200 people. It's really amazing. It's really a weighty task. He said, now when you get the phone call and somebody wants to talk to you and somebody wants a meeting and you've got to count and you've got to put this fire out and you've got to counsel this person and somebody needs discipled, what happens is you leave 1,200 people, and that's kind of the image, you leave 1,200 people and you walk over and you minister to the one person. And that's exactly what you need to do. And he said, well, the tension in your life is going to be between preaching the best sermon you ever could preach and the good sermon you must preach. That you must minister to the 1,200 effectively, but you also must be willing to be interrupted and in, in, in minister to the individual. Same would be true for Caleb or Dave or anyone. When Caleb's working on groups, he's ministering to hundreds of people. Hundreds. And then someone says, can we get lunch? I'm struggling with this addiction. Can we talk about it? Can you pray for me? And he takes two hours out of his day to do it. He leaves hundreds of people to minister to one. And so that's just the tension that we feel in ministry. And we want to be able to meet with every individual person, but we also have the responsibility to minister to the entire church. I know you guys understand, but just that's how that works. Fourthly, you are to be led by men who view their roles as shepherds. You are to be led by men who view their roles as shepherds. Verse two, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight. This analogy comes up often that, that God is a shepherd that gives under shepherds to take care of his sheep. And every time we read it, we always go, oh, sheep, aren't they so cute? You know, and it's true, but, but the reason that um, sheep are mentioned, if you think about a sheep, what you may not know about them is they are the, one of the dumbest of all animals. You know, sorry, they just are. They are one of the least discerning. They will follow, until they have a shepherd, they will follow anybody. They are the most defenseless of all animals. Uh, they can't run. They can't jump, they can't kick. In fact, the more you study sheep, the more you go, God, did you make sheep just to make a spiritual point? <laughs> you know, I'm like, is there any other purpose for them or did you just know you were gonna use them as an illustration for humans the rest of, uh, rest of our lives? Because there's so many things in common. And what he says is that, that sheep need a shepherd and they, need, they have a chief shepherd, Jesus, and then they need under shepherds. And, and, and there are really are four things that shepherds do and I want you to understand these because these four things are, are what we tell community group leaders to do. They're what we tell husbands and wives to do with their kids. It would be what we tell coaches to do as they lead community groups. Uh, it's what every staff person's responsible to do as they're over an area of ministry. So these, these principles are transferable and they're lead, feed, know, and protect. 
If you study what shepherds do, they lead, feed, know, and protect. The first thing they do is they lead. And here's how you lead. You define reality. This is where we are as a church. This is what we struggle with. And then I'm going to tell you where we're going in the future. Here's where we're going. And I'm going to blaze the path there. And here's the next hill we're going to climb. Which is one of the reasons elders are not just nice, passive guys. Sometimes people are like, well, he seems very nice. He seems very friendly. He should be an elder. Maybe not. Or maybe. So that elders aren't mean, but elders have a vision from God that they say, this is where we believe God's taking us. And there's two ways you lead people. You lead them by vision, you lead them by example. That's the only two ways you can lead somebody. You can lead them with vision. This is what your marriage could look like. This is what your life could look like if it wasn't in an addiction. This is the kind of father you could be. This is where your finances could be. If you would, if you would apply the principles of God to your finances, this is where you could be. That's all you can do. And then you can lead them by example. Here's how I'm trying to do my marriage. Here's my own, here's my own sin, and I'm repenting, and I'm struggling. And so you lead. The second is that you feed. And I want to read you maybe a passage of Scripture that you may not be familiar with. Uh, it's an obscure passage of Scripture from, Isaiah, or from Ezekiel 34. And it is God calling out the spiritual leaders, the pastors, the church leaders of that day back in Israel. Here's what he says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. And I think, well, what would God say today to the pastors in the church in America? Against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. And then he says this, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with wool, you slaughter the, flat, the, the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. What he's saying is that the number one responsibility of pastors, of elders, of overseers, of church leaders is to feed God's word to God's people. And you know, God said to Samuel what I think God would say today, that there's a famine in your land, but it's not a famine of food, it's a famine of hearing and understanding God's word. And in so many churches, people are starving for God's word. Just open the Bible and explain it to me and apply it to my life and help me to live it out. And it's the feeding that does everything else. How do you lead? By feeding. How do you protect people? By feeding. How do you know what to care about about them? By feeding. By looking at God's word. But then from feeding, he goes on, and I want you to see the other rebuke he has, because he's rebuking them for not doing the things that every shepherd's called to do. Verse four, <clears throat> he calls them out for not knowing the flock. The weak you have not strengthened. In other words, there's people in your church struggling, you don't know it. The sick you have not healed. There's people at Wake Baptist Hospital and you don't even know they're there. There's people with chronic illness and you have no idea. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. There's somebody who's missed community group for four weeks in a row. By the way, attendance is the first sign of unhealth in a person's life. Lack of attendance. It says, he says, look at this. The strayed, they stopped showing up. You have not brought back. The lost, you have not sought. And with force and harshness, you have ruled them. I want to take a moment to tell you how we try to know the sheep here at Two Cities. It's not easy. You know, you think about how difficult it is maybe to stay out with your family, Right? Think about your immediate family, maybe your mom, your dad, your aunts, your uncles. Just think about how they're doing. It's like, well, it's hard to know, right? One of the things we've done is we've just, we've said we're not a, we're not a church with community groups. We're a church of community groups. 
And the main way, that, the main vehicle for shepherding, for care, for dealing with sin and suffering in our church is going to be community groups. That what happens is, just so you know, every community group has a community group leader. And that community group leader is, is responsible not just to facilitate discussion once a week, but to care for those people. And then every community group leader has a coach. And that coach is to make sure the community group leader is doing well and caring for his group. And now all the elders are going to be helping the coaches. So this is, this is our way as the church continues to grow for us to care for everybody. Now, this is so encouraging. The people we feel most responsible to care for are the members of our church. Guess what? Over 97% of the members in our church are in a community group. Praise the Lord. I mean, that is so, I can't even tell you in the church world how high that is. I mean, it's so high that I know every person's name in our church who's not in a group and we're following up with them. No one's in trouble, but we're just saying, help me understand. Help me understand. Well, I understand maybe there's a season, maybe there's a special circumstance, okay? But, but, but if you're not in a group, you're not going to be connected to the two people you need the rest of your life, the two things you need the rest of your life, people who love you and know the Bible. And so we are aggressive in the best sense of the word about helping people be known and get connected in their group level. So that's, we lead them, we feed them, we know them, finally we protect them, right? This is what every parent needs to do with their kids. This is what every husband should be doing with his family, protecting. Um, the, the, uh, the, in the Bible, there are three types of people that Jesus tells us will come into the church. He says, one, there'll be the sheep. And sheep are great. Sometimes sheep bite, but overall sheep are great. They're, you know, they, they, they love the Lord. They're dealing with sin. They're, they're repenting the best they know how. They're following the shepherd. Um, you're going to help them, but they're going to be great people. Then he says, there's goats, right? And, that, and that's Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is, hey, there's goats. Here's what you need to know about goats. Uh, they think they're Christians. They're not, right? At the final judgment, Jesus says, yeah, I never knew you. And they said, well, Lord, you know, I thought you knew me. It, they're, they're people that are in church, but not in Christ. They're, they're religiously lost people. They have no love for Christ, no love for the Bible, no affection um, for Christians, no hatred of sin. But then there are wolves. And, and no one ever talks about the wolves, but wolves come into the church. And just so you know, wolves don't come into the church and go, boo, I'm a wolf. You know, <laughs> they don't do that. They come in, Jesus says, they come in in sheep's clothing. We're told in the scriptures, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. See, see what people, and I don't say this to scare you guys, but, but, but bad men are attracted to churches. Why? Well, because Christians tend to be, we tend to be naive people. We're like, well, you seem nice. You, you seem fun. Yeah, we'd love you to be in leadership and be in the kids' ministry. It's like, no, probably not, Maybe. Because if you have naive people who tend to trust and have lots of women and children around, all churches have lots of women and children around. And so what, what pastors are supposed to do is we are supposed to guard the church from false teaching, from false teachers, from sinful living. We warn people. We sit, in people's, we sit with people in our offices and we say, please don't leave your wife. Please repent of that sin. Jesus was serious when he said that we need to cut off our hand and, and tear out our eyes when it comes to fighting lust, metaphorically in our life. We warn people. And we want to create an environment where we take sin seriously and we warn people of the dangers. And by God's grace, I believe we have a, a, an environment of protection. I, I had a woman recently come up to me after one of the church services and she kind of opened up and said, here's my story. And she shared me a kind of a crazy story that had happened in her life and how she had PTSD because of it. So she's telling me all of this, and she says, and because of my, you know, my PTSD, she says, every time I, everywhere I've ever gone since then, I can never sit with my back toward the door. 
because of what had happened in her life, she just feels like I have to look at the door all the time whenever I sit somewhere. She said, Two Cities Church is the first place I've ever been where I can sit with my back to the door. She just said, there's something about the way that this place is. There's something about the way I feel cared for. There's something about the way I see the security team out there. She says, I feel a safety here and a protection here that I don't feel anywhere else. That's exactly what I want to have happen. Next, he says this. You are to be led by men who love being elders. By men who love being elders. Look at verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And then he's going to deal with the three temptations of leadership. He says, well, well, not under compulsion, not the military mindset, not that I have to, not the obligation, not that everyone in my family has been in ministry, so I need to. Uh, the deacon committee needs me to be on it, so I'll step up to it. Nobody else is doing it, so I guess I'll do it. That happens all the time in the church. And then it leads to people who are not excited. And it's like, what's one of the best things you can do for your kids? Be excited about them. What's the best thing you can do about your wife or your spouse? Be excited about them. Man, it's great being married to you. Man, it's great being your boss. Man, it's great being your dad. I, I, I love doing this. And that, that's kind of the idea that, that we should not do things under compulsion. Then he says this, uh, but willingly. It's like, let me tell you this. All of the elders love being elders here. In fact, the way that they became elders, the first step was we were speaking to a group of leaders and we said this, if you, here's what an elder is. And I gave a mini sermon like this, much shorter, okay? And then I said, this is what it is. And guys, we need them. And the Bible says, 1 Timothy 3, if you desire or aspire to eldership, let me know. And I said, and I'm not saying another thing. And that was hard for me. I said, I'm not saying another thing about this. I'm just going to be quiet. I'm going to see who comes up. Well, at the end of the meeting, we pray. I close my eyes. We pray. I open up. There's a guy right here in my face. <laughs> he said, man, I don't know what God's doing in my life, but I feel like I, feel like I desire to aspire to, and I want to grow in, and I, want to lo I love our church, and I want to lead it, and I, I want to give as much time to it as I can. And Well, he's an elder now. And that was about 18 months ago, and God brought him through a process, but there's an eagerness, there's a willingness to it. It's not out of obligation. The second thing he says is it's not out of shameful gain. Do you see that? He says, um, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain. Now, I don't know anybody who went into ministry to make money. I don't know that person. I'm sure they exist. I've met people who left ministry to make more money. I've never met somebody who went into ministry to make money, but what can happen is over time, motives can get changed. This is for people on staff, not on staff, and ministry can become a place to make money. Uh, it can become a place for a platform. Uh, it can become a place um, for, for massive amounts of influence to self-exalt yourself. And he's warning you because here's the thing, that there are going to be decisions that elders and leaders have to make for the church that may not be best for their influence, that may not be best for their salary, that may not be best for their platform. And if they have mixed motives, they're not going to be able to make those decisions because they're going to keep saying, what's going to be best for me? And sometimes what's best for the church as a whole is not best for the elder. And so that's why he's warning of shameful gain. And then thirdly, look what he says in verse 3. He says, not domineering. Verse 3, he says, not domineering. Now that, that is the third temptation. First temptation is duty. Second temptation um, is greed. Third temptation is power. He says, don't be domineering. In other words, don't create a culture of fear. Don't be overly authoritarian. I've seen churches like this. It's like kiss the ring, bow the knee, salute the uniform, call me pastor. I've heard of a church before where pastor walks in, everybody stands up. They, they call him pastor only. No, no first name, no last name, just the word pastor is how we refer to him. He has an armor bearer. He has people that work for him that mow his grass, that carry his Bible. It's goofy stuff like that. 
But that, that is more common than you would think, especially, of course, in pro, uh, prosperity circles, where there are, there are pastors like that there. Um, <clears throat> what, what he's saying is churches should not have a, a culture of control, but a culture of influence. That's our desire here. We don't want to have a culture of control, right? Nobody flourishes under a culture of control. A, a culture of influence says, hey, you know, what we have in each other's lives is influence, that I have no more authority than any of the elders. I have more influence because nobody else preaches for 45 minutes every week. So I realize that I have the same amount of authority. I have the same title. I have the same position. I have a little bit different influence because of my teaching and preaching ministry. But all of the elders, we don't, it's not authoritarian. It's not control. It's about influence. We want to influence you for your good. That's, that's a healthy culture. Rick Warren said you can design the church for two ways, control or growth, but not both. And we wanted to create a church where people could grow spiritually, people could grow numerically, people could grow, we could grow organizationally. We wanted to be a healthy church. Which leads to the final thing, which is you are to be led by men who are looking to a future reward. You are, look, you are to be led by men who are looking to a future reward. He says this, and when the chief shepherd appears, that's the reference to the return of Christ, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Here's what he's saying. Every pastor is an interim pastor. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but an interim pastor is a pastor who comes in for a short period of time. You know, interim pastor will come in and say, I'm going to be here for, you know, three months or six months or a year or year and a half. And, and basically, I, I know that I'm not the final pastor. And therefore, I, I, I'm preparing you for something else. Well, every, every pastor, in one sense, then, is an interim pastor. See, my hope, my prayer, my plan is to be in Winston-Salem, Lord willing, the rest of my life. I'm like, you know, I've looked at Wake Hospital and go, I'm going to die in there. I mean, I've, I've, I've thought that before. <laughs> it's kind of a depressing thought. Uh, but I thought, thought that. I'm like, I'm going to raise my grandkids here. I've got, this is not what I do before I do something else. I'm super excited about our city. I'm super, I love you guys. Uh, you know, I, I've, I'm, I'm going to be here as far as I can plan and pray about it, you know, long term. And, but at the same time, I realized, wait a second, you know, I'm not going to be the last pastor of Two Cities Church. You know, there's going to be, a, there are other pastors already. There will be a, another teaching, preaching vision pastor at some point in the future. Maybe it's 30 years from now. And so what, what you realize is it's a stewardship. It's God's flock. I'm going to be passing it off, and I need to look to a future reward. Now, now too many people want through, including myself, I start with this, you want the reward in this life. It's like, well, you want people to clap now. You want people to praise you now. You know, it's like people want a picture in the lobby now. People want a, a building named after them now. People want a, a bunch of likes on Facebook now. It's like everybody wants their reward right now. And it's like you actually can't do the things that he's calling you to do, to serve, to sacrifice, to suffer, if you're looking for all of your reward right now. You have to go, okay, look, God motivates us three ways. Love, fear, and rewards. That's how God, it's the same way you motivate your kids. You know, hey, I love you, I want you to do this. If you do that, you're going to get a spanking. Um, and if you do this, I'll give you ice cream. It's like, there you go. You used all, <laughs> you used all three of them, okay? Love, fear, and rewards. So those, are, those are good motivations. And, and what Jesus appeals to is what is called delayed self-interest. It's, hey, I know you care about things. I know you want the best for yourself. That's normal. You're made my image. But I want you to fall into what's called delayed self-interest. So that's why Jesus says, if you want to be rich, store up riches in heaven. He doesn't say it's wrong to be rich. He says, let me... Practice delayed self-interest. He says, if you want to be great, uh, you must humble yourself and be a servant of all, and then you'll be great in heaven. Uh, and now he's saying, um, if you're going to be faithful and you're going to serve and suffer, you're going to get your reward in heaven. And, and I love what John Piper says about this. John Piper, former pastor of Minnesota, he says, God will allow you to see enough of your fruit to be grateful and feel like he's using you, and he will cover most of your fruit to humble you so you will not become proud. 
that you'll, you're going to see enough of your fruit to go, God's using me, God's working, but you're never going to know all the things God's doing in you and through you and for you and beyond you because it, it could lead, as Paul said, to pride. And so at two cities, our desire is to look to the future reward. Most leaders only want two things. They want peace and they want popularity. They want peace. They want nobody to get upset ever, which means they never take stands. They never chart a course and they never tell people no. And we do all three of those. And the other thing is they just want to be popular. They just want everybody to like them. And I would like you to like me, okay? But that's not, thank God, that's not our number one desire. We love Christ more than that. And so, so this is why, if you look at verse 5, he calls us at the end to humility. He calls all of us at the end to humility. He says this, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. And then he ends with humility. After talking about leadership and submission and shepherding and sheep, he says this, Clothe yourselves, all of you. So leader and follower with humility. He's saying, here's what the church is. Humble leaders leading humble people. It's humble people following humble leaders. That's the hope. With humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's what he's saying. That the church will be healthiest when everybody's humble. I've never heard of a church split between two groups of humble people. Have you ever heard that? Well, they just kept saying they were wrong and they wanted to repent. And then this group said, no, they were wrong and they wanted to repent. It's like, no, you never hear that story. I, I, it's the, I've seen the pride people versus the pride people. The prideful people versus the prideful people. I've seen that. I've seen the prideful people versus the humble people. I've seen that. But I've never seen two groups of humble people have to have disunity and division. And so uh, that's our hope. We follow a humble Savior. We follow a Savior who was willing to sacrifice and suffer and die. In fact, at the end of Ezekiel, I was reading you that passage. At the end of Ezekiel, he, he, there's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus Christ. I want to read this to you. So after he says, here's all the things the shepherds are doing wrong, at the end of Ezekiel 34, he says this, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. In other words, I will protect them, and I will know them. And I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And, if you, and you read that, you go, wait a second, David died 300 years before this was written. David's been dead for 300 years when he says, I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. That's a prophecy of the coming of Christ. And he shall feed them. And he shall feed them and he will be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. Jesus Christ is the great shepherd. Every other shepherd will fail you, ultimately. Jesus Christ says, look, I didn't come under compulsion, but I came willingly. Nobody made me die for you. I planned it. I, for the joy set before me, I went to the cross. And then he's going to say, hey, listen, it wasn't about shameful gain. It actually was about me losing. For he who is rich became poor that we might become rich. That Jesus Christ, it wasn't about, the cross wasn't about shameful gain, it was about personal sacrifice. And then Jesus, the way that he calls us is not in a domineering way. In Matthew 11, he says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What we want to do is we want to be a church following, of shepherds, following the good shepherd while we're leading the sheep. Let's pray. 
Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the chief shepherd of the church. You're the chief shepherd. You're the senior pastor of Two Cities Church. You lead the church by your word and by your spirit, Lord. Lord, I pray that all of us would grow in leading and feeding and knowing and protecting one another. That's part of when you say you're going to be a member of a church, when you're going to fulfill the one another's of Scripture, you're going to commit to do those four things. Lord, I pray that the reasons that we would serve, whether it's serving on Sunday or serving in community groups or serving in our city, it would never be under compulsion. It would never be for shameful gain. It would never be in a domineering spirit, Lord. That we would be the church, we would be the people who eagerly and willingly serve. Because we have a God who eagerly and willingly served us. We pray all this in your name. Amen.